Murphy. Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on their line of natural medicine products. Uh, amazing people, amazing ownership, and they have helped me. I'm, I'm so proud to be associated with them and have them sponsoring the podcast. I'm a customer, and uh, I'm just really excited. So if you're not familiar with their line of products, again, go to the website, check it out. If you have questions, give them a call. And uh, they are all about helping people live better lives. So again, abotanicalcompany.com or 405-458-9699. All right, we've got uh, a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk NBA, OKC Thunder new head coach, Chris Paul trade rumors, uh, Russell Westbrook and the Houston Rockets now just going completely bananas. It's like an all-out war in Houston. And uh, we're going to hit that as well. Plus... We've got a lot of UFC conversation to be had. One of my good friends and a former intern is going to join me. He's a massive UFC fan as well, so uh, we're going to talk a lot of UFC, kind of break down what's happened over the course of these pandemic months within the sport and hit on some big things that are coming in the near future in the UFC as well. So here we go. Today's guest on the Colby Daniels podcast. My guest today is Will Brewer. You know him as Stretch, former intern at Tyler Media. Uh, first and foremost, Will, it's good to have you on the podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. It has been a while. It has been a while. We've uh, we've been keeping in touch with uh, with our, our weekly UFC conversations via text message. And look, right. I'll be honest with you. The UFC pretty much kept me going for months this year when we were completely absent of everything else sports-related. Right, man. Um, to be honest, if it wasn't for the UFC, I would have been sulking just thinking about how <laughs> devastating this year has been. But the UFC, every Saturday, except for like two or three, it's kept me going. Every week, I'm like, oh, the UFC's here. I can, I can get excited. So it's been great, man. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, we had it like every Saturday. There was a stretch there where they were throwing in some Wednesday cards and oh. they were just kind of able to separate themselves during this weird time. And, you know, we, we talked about it occasionally when you were an intern for us. And at that point, like I was still a UFC fan, but I, I think when I was working that job, it was just hard for me to follow it year round. So I always had this stretch during football season where I felt like I kind of lost touch with everything that was happening. And then as soon as football season would end, I would get back into it and watch it throughout the spring and the summer. And then next thing you know, football starts again. And then I have this like three or four month period where I just don't see that much of it. Uh, and obviously with the, with the new gig, uh, my time is freed up a little bit. I don't nearly have the same obligations. So man, this year has been amazing as far as that front goes. Right. Uh, and you got to give Dana White a lot of credit because as soon as the pandemic happened, he was like, I'm going to try to keep this thing rolling. I don't want to shut down. I'm going to be the only, I'm going to be the first sporting event to um, to keep it to keep this going, even without fans. So he, he did everything that he could, everything possible. He took all the necessary precautions with this COVID stuff. And he's made all these events happen. And it's been crazy. It's been wild. And even the uh, overseas fighters to get an island so that these overseas fighters right. can fight. Like, wow. I mean, it's, it's been amazing, man. It's been amazing. All right. We're going to, we're going to come back to UFC and talk about what happened last week and, and kind of just uh, look at what's ahead. But I, I do have to ask you just, just out of the gate, 
as far as 2020 and everything that's happened basically post-pandemic, what's been your favorite thing in the UFC so far? Ooh. Um, I'll tell you what. When they were doing this whole Fight Island thing, I really didn't think they were going to be able to pull this off because, like, the whole idea of it, I just didn't see – I didn't see it. Like, I was like, okay, they're going to – overseas fighters, we're going to Abu Dhabi. Like, are they really going to be able to pull this off? But I'll tell you what, that first Fight Island card and just seeing how that all played out, I got to say that uh, UFC 251, I believe, with the three title fights. That was I the, really the Usman-Masvidal main event, right? Okay. Right, yeah, yeah, with Volkanovski, Holloway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jan Haldo, yeah, that that card in itself, just knowing that they were able to pull that off in the midst of this whole pandemic all the way halfway across the world, I got to say that of 2020, that's probably my favorite thing that happened. Fair enough. That's a good one. Did you did you see the declassified Fight Island thing they put on ESPN Plus? Yes, I did see that. That was crazy. I did see. Really good. Yeah, if, just, if you're a fight fan, that it's worth checking out. Right, and just to think, like all, all the things that they had to go through. I mean, we see the finished product, but to see everything right. that they had to go through just to get that card together, my gosh! I mean, <laughs> give those guys yeah. credit. Mine, I, I think, is uh, was it the the UFC 250 card in May? I think they were doing it in Florida, and that was the one uh, with the Gaethje Ferguson main event. Oh yeah, the the very first one. That's a good one. That one was first of all, the card itself was just loaded with star power. But secondly, I think you know we were all just really still, I think, extremely in the dark about what COVID was how it was going to impact us long-term. Were we ever going to see sports this year? And here comes Dana White. That was really the first big thing that happened. And he was just like, fuck everybody. I'm doing this. You're not going to stop me. And right. they made it happen. And next thing you know, like I remember my uh, my two brother-in-laws. Is it brothers-in-law or brother-in-laws, the plural? Anyway, uh, whatever it is, they came over. And so we were on my back porch watching the fight outside on the outside patio television, all like socially distanced, like sitting a decent <laughs> space apart and watching that fight. And that was, you know, Ngannou, I think on that card, knocked out Rosenstrike in like two seconds, it felt like. And, you know, Gaethje put on just one of the most memorable performances I think I've ever seen in the history of the UFC. And I just remember like this feeling of satisfaction sitting down with, with like friends, so to speak, watching a live event in a time where we just didn't even think that was possible. Right. I remember, I remember that card. And when I tell you, I don't think I've ever been more excited for <laughs> a sporting event in years, but when they announced the card and when I saw it from top to bottom, I was like, are they really about to pull this off? Because they tried it before yeah. uh, somewhere and it got canceled. So, and then um, they tried it again. And I'm thinking, like, they're not going to be able to pull this off. I couldn't get excited. But as it drew near and everything just started to come together, I was like, okay, we're good. I started to get excited. Yeah. And then the card itself, man, just being able to sit there and watch, like, like you said, Ferguson, Gaethje, like that main event in itself, like, if that doesn't get you hyped, like, goodness. But then you had Cejudo, Cruz, uh, and Ganyu, yeah. and Rosenstrike, and uh, ooh, uh, Pettis and Cerrone was on the prelims. That's, like, that's goodness, right. Like, that card was loaded, and it, it definitely delivered. It was a great card, but it was just, I mean, on top of that, like, you don't even really need to sell it any other way, but it was a great card. But on top of it, like, it was just surreal 
to sit there and like take it in and I just I don't know I just remember being geeked the whole night like just because we were watching this live sporting event of of that magnitude especially and uh yeah it's just one of those like sports moments that I don't think I'll ever forget just the how special it felt because somebody was like I'm doing this thing and nobody's gonna stop me and they made it work so uh, all right, we're going to circle back to UFC. Uh, I, there's a lot of storylines that I think are really interesting. And, and look, to be honest with you, I think the sport is in better shape than it's ever been. It's alive and well and thriving. And I think even within this pandemic, it's, you know, I know a lot of people that have maybe not necessarily been UFC fans or maybe fringe UFC fans that have definitely cannonballed in throughout this time. Again, thanks to the fact that they were marching on when everybody else was on the sidelines. So we'll we'll jump back into that, but... Big news yesterday in OKC as far as the NBA front goes. Finally, and and we'll talk about all the players, but the Thunder announced a head coach, Mark Dagnalt. So I was told a year ago that it was pronounced Dagnalt, and then yesterday in the press conference, Presti said Dagnalt. So I'm not really sure at this point what the what the correct pronunciation is. If Presti said Dagnalt, I'm rolling with Dagnalt. So there we go. <laughs> right. Coach Dagnalt. Um, I was just going to call him Coach Mark or Coach, there you go. Mark Coach D, D or Coach D, something like that. Uh, but uh, I think it's a great hire for the Thunder. Uh, he's definitely paid his dues. Coach of the Blue, uh, he was an assistant under Billy Donovan, so he kind of knows the ins and outs already. Uh, and from what I'm hearing, he's a real players coach. You know, he really knows how to make these guys tick. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, moving forward what he has to offer. His press conference, uh, I thought he came across as just very chill and relaxed and just kind of seemed unfazed by it all. I mean, which is what you want. Um, it, there was very, there was kind of like a Brad Stevens type feel as far as the way that Brad Stevens carries himself in that like kind of casual manner. That was the impression I got with uh, with Coach D yesterday during that press conference. But, you know, in terms of what kind of guy he is, he's a developmental guy. That's the reason I think he's getting this job right now for this team that's going to have a bunch of draft picks. They're, they're going to be bringing in a bunch of young players, and they currently have a bunch of young players that need to develop. So his specialty, I think, is quote-unquote player development. But I liked – there was a question, what type – what's your, like, offensive philosophy – and I liked what he said. He said, pace and space. And, I mean, that's what today's NBA is. And you know what? If that's what you want to be, just say it. You don't have to hide from it. That's what they want to do. And I like the fact that I think a couple different times he referenced analytics in today's press conference, which, look, I, I mean, that's the way the game is played today. I like having somebody in there that is at least, even if he's not the most analytic guy or whatever, I, I don't know, but at least he's aware that that's something that needs to – you know, be paid attention to somewhat. Yes, that's that's where the game is now, pace and space. Uh, you see kind of last year, the the game got kind of stagnant with those guys a little bit. In the fourth quarter, we were kind of, you know, struggling to find, to find space because we had Lou Dort out there, who kind of struggles to shoot, but he'll at least he'll get him up, right? Uh, <laughs> at least he'll get him up. But uh, pace and space is what we're kind of going to now. And if he – if Coach D is going to be bringing that to the Thunder. I like it. I like where we're headed. Was there ever a thought in your mind that it was going to be anybody outside the organization? Because I, I have said on the podcast for months, and every time I've done a guest spot anywhere, asked about this thing, I've said, I think it's somebody on staff. Now, 
I'd be lying if I told you I knew which guy on staff it was going to be. But I said, I think they're going to go in-house. There are several options there. Uh, one, of the, one of the current assistants, you know, name the name that you want to throw out there. I think they're all candidates, and I think they were all going to be interviewed. But uh, he's the guy that gets it. I thought it was going to be in-house guy the whole time. It, it made too much sense for it to, to be an in-house guy. Like, there's not – you can't convince me that there was anything else that was going to happen considering – we have a quick turnaround. It's a young team that doesn't, you know, we don't really know what the foundation pieces are going to be down the road. And money obviously plays a role here as well in, in a year where you're not having home games, you're not having attendance. It's, it's just something you have to be more aware of maybe than any other time in the history of the NBA. Well, I'm going I'm to throw out a, a couple names of who I thought was going to be the guy. Uh, and one is kind of outlandish, but I thought that with, the Thunder being able to rebuild that he would be able to come in and kind of give us um, something really, really fresh. My first one is Jason Kidd. I thought Jason Kidd was going to be the guy to come in and uh, and do it for us. Jason Kidd. And then I thought Adrian Griffin from the from the Raptors. Uh, I thought he was going to be able to get it. But um, still, Coach D, I mean, I like the hire for sure. Yeah. Uh, man, I don't know. I, I, I just – Neither one of those guys just seems like a Presty guy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. There's just, there's like a certain vibe. I feel like that Scott Brooks had that Billy Donovan had. And even in one press conference, you kind of feel like, uh, Dagnalt has that is kind of the, the Presty vibe, I guess is the best way to say. Yeah. He had a lot of a Presty swag for sure. That was like a Presty inspired interview. If you ask me. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, Woj drops a bomb on us two nights ago. Yesterday, the NBA trade machines are fired up, and, you know, Chris Paul potentially to the Phoenix Suns. Interesting conversation. There was another report yesterday that that said something along the lines of the Thunder aren't interested in getting any contracts back from Phoenix that are longer than a year, which to me says the biggest thing in play for a Chris Paul trade potentially would be the number 10 pick in next week's NBA draft. Yeah, so Chris Paul, uh, he's got a big contract, and I feel like with with Phoenix, when the when the trade announcements and everything was first going on, my mind gets to like, who are we gonna get from Phoenix? My first thought was Kelly Oubre. Devin Ray. Booker. <laughs> oh no, no, I'm kidding. I think that was that's a little over the top. Uh, but, of course, Thunder fans, oh, we're getting Devin Booker. I'm like, hold on, let's pump the brakes there. My first thoughts were we're going to have Kelly Oubre, we're going to have Ricky Rubio, and they're going to have uh, the number, uh, a first-round pick. Yeah. Because with Presti, it, I, I think anything's on the table. I don't think Devin Booker's out of the question with Presti. He can pull a rabbit out of the hat because that, that man can work magic. I, <laughs> I definitely believe that. I look at this year's draft, and first and foremost, I think Anthony Edwards is probably the best player in the draft. That's the guy that I like the most. If I had the first pick, I mean, again, depending on on what your team looks like, uh, that's the guy that I would lean toward. But I don't necessarily look at this draft class and think there is a guaranteed future NBA All-Star. There's not one guy that I think is the absolute guaranteed number one overall pick in this thing. And to, to take that a step further, when you look all the way down at 10, I, I don't necessarily think I'm just wowed by what's available at 10. Like, the group of guys that could be selected at 10, I think all those guys you could potentially see maybe at 15 or 20 even. Like, 
this class just feels very interchangeable, and I don't feel like there's a ton of separation. And, and the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is because if you're going to trade the number 10 pick, this might be the year to do it. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Um, best player in the draft, I would say uh, I like Anthony Edwards, but I think Wiseman would probably be the the best player. We just didn't get to see enough of him, but yeah. I really think if we would have, people would have been saying, like, okay, he's head and shoulders above the rest. But um, as far as the rest goes, I agree with you, man. There's not much – I mean, they're all kind of, like, right there, kind of interchangeable. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see for sure. I, you know, I I know every year because somebody's going to say, well, that's every year, but the draft is is always about potential, and rarely do we see guys that are finished products. I mean, for the most part, guys are very raw. So I, maybe I just feel like guys are even more raw this year than ever, or guys have less polish on their games this year than ever because, again, it's always about potential, but – Maybe I just don't feel like these guys are as far along as and, – and some of this could be the fact that we didn't have a, you know, a, a conclusion to a college basketball season. Some of this, maybe it just feels like we haven't seen any of these dudes play in so long uh, that, that maybe that's why it's hard for me to really get excited about a lot of these players. But I just don't see guys that are as polished as, as maybe most seasons. Yeah, so in the, uh, in, if the tournament – if we would have been able to see it, we would have been able to see who um, who's ready for those big moments or who's kind of head and shoulders, right. who's NBA ready, basically. Uh, and without being able to see that, we've just kind of gone off of the early part of the of the college season. And, you know, players aren't really playing uh, as as hard as well as we would be able to see them in March. Right. So um, it's kind of tough to tell, definitely. Especially with the freshmen, right? I mean, they're they're just kind of trying to find their way at that point. And, you know, they haven't really turned that corner. And, and generally about the time that things ended up getting canceled is when they've turned that corner and start becoming the next level player. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting class. I think there's a lot of uncertainty across the board. And if I'm Phoenix and I'm looking for that player to put me over the top, and I think that's Chris Paul... I think this year more than ever, I would be willing to trade the number 10 pick. Yeah, I agree. I agree, man, for sure. So we'll see what they do. Um, we have trouble in Houston, by the way. Have you seen any of the social media stuff right now with the Houston Rockets? It's uh, one thing after the other after the other. First, you got James Harden and Russell Westbrook uh, talking about they want trades, and then James Harden is, is locked in. Then you got P.J. Tucker saying he's irate. Austin Rivers wants to change in his role. Uh, Eric Gordon wants to change in his role. Like, goodness, the, the doors are about to get blown off in Houston. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> a big problem. A big problem. There is a mutiny in Houston, and it, it, it's just kind of amusing to me. But the, the first thing that I think is pretty wild, Russell Westbrook wants out, and he wants to go somewhere where he is going to play the same role that he played in OKC. That's Seems like a tough one. I don't know if he's going to be able to go anywhere, at least to a, um, a, a contending team, where he's going to be able to play the same role as he did in OKC. And Houston... I mean, things were looking good even with Capella, but then they trade Capella, and then things just went up for Russ. Uh, his numbers were incredible. He was basically playing point center. And then the pandemic happened, and then we come back, and he gets hurt. He gets COVID. So when he comes back in Houston playing in the, in the bubble, he's not looking like himself. He's not ready. 
Uh, he didn't really look like the point center that we were used to seeing. And it really affected Houston's game because if Russ isn't being that point center, I mean, you already gave away Capella. And then P.J. Tucker is your next biggest player who's going to stand in the corner. And then you're not playing Tyson Chandler at all. So, I mean, Houston was just in a, in a world of trouble from the beginning. I think for Russell Westbrook, the biggest issue is during the regular season, he's going to be fine. He's going to score points. He's going to average incredible numbers across the board. But when you get into a series and there are no secrets and nobody is going to let you get away with the same things they're going to let you get away with in the regular season and everybody is scheming to prevent you from doing X or Y or Z on every single play over the course of four quarters, that's when his deficiencies really get exposed. And, you know, it's been now, what, three straight, four straight seasons where he gets into the postseason and is a shell of the guy that we see in the regular season? Right. So it's the same thing with Giannis. I mean, yeah. in the regular season, he's great. He's averaging 30-plus, uh, 14 rebounds, MVP caliber, right? But when we get to the playoffs, teams are able to scout him, and we're really able to key in on what he does best. And then when he tries to drive, he, there's a wall. It's the same thing with Russ. Uh, when he... When you get into the playoffs, there's a wall. It really becomes hard for him to drive and get those assists or to get to the basket. And he's not as explosive as he once was when he can just jump over everybody. So it, it, it becomes really hard for him to get into the paint and do what he does best. And his jump shot, you know, we really don't want to see him shooting threes, even though he'll take a lot of them, even though in Houston he did take less. But we don't want to see him shooting threes. So, uh yeah, in, in the playoffs, man, his numbers go down. I mean, you really have to use your, your IQ, and I think that's one of the areas that Russ kind of lacks. Yep, it's it's maybe his biggest downfall is that even as he's gotten older and played more basketball and, and experienced different things, it's like that side of his game has never changed, and it's never grown. And, you know, all the greats, every great in the history of the NBA, as they've gotten older, they've adjusted their game. Some of that is become because they just become smarter players. Some of that is because they have to start making up for what they lose in physical ability. And and while Russell Westbrook is still an elite athlete, at some point you just like to, like to see him kind of figure it out, see the light bulb come on, and see how his game evolves because we've all said this for years. If the guy ever gets that light bulb moment in the NBA where he's learning from all these things he's experienced – how good could he be? I mean, we have no idea how good he could be. And this is a guy that averaged a triple-double for a season. Like, this is a guy that has had incredible seasons. He's been the MVP of the NBA. He's been a scoring champion. He's done all these things, and yet I think there is still a ceiling for him that he has not achieved that's out there if, you know, the mental catches up. It, what, what's crazy is we know his heart is off the charts. Like, he's going to be the hardest playing player that's out there but it's just something that that's just not clicking in his head I mean and, and to be the point guard the primary ball handler what he wants to be to be the primary decision maker his IQ has to be the highest on the team right and if and if it's not it's really going to bring down the team because there was a lot of times in OKC even back to when Kevin Durant was here when in the fourth quarter you want you want him to make the smart play but you, he would make plays. He would shoot just untimely threes. And you're just like, Russ, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? Like, come on, man, like, make the right play. Drive, you know, get us some movement. Do something else. But, you know, we never seen that. And, it, and it's the same thing year after year, just like you said. 
I'm glad you mentioned Giannis because I, I've I've been feeling that way as well. And and look, Giannis is probably my favorite player in the NBA to watch. Like I love watching Giannis play basketball, but. I was watching this postseason, and I'm like, man, it's the same thing. Kind of like Russell Westbrook. He's killing it in the regular season, but once you see the same team, they know what you're going to do, and they start taking that away, what else do you have in the arsenal? And he's he's going to have to find that quickly, or I think the tide's going to turn on him as well. He's going to have to figure out something in the playoffs to add to his game when teams take that away, or the Milwaukee's not going anywhere either. No, I, I, I'll give Giannis credit on this front. He has worked on his jump shot a bit, and it did improve a bit this year. But just like you said, his bread and butter is getting to the basket. His bread and butter is, you know, taking those long strides and dunking over two or three people. And when that's not there, I mean, what else What else is there for him? Uh, he At the elbow, I would like to see him take that 15 to 17 footer because he's trying to take these threes and, you know, the percentages, the analytics will say he needs to be a three point shooter and everything. But I would like him to take that mid range shot because if, if you can keep, if you can keep defenders, uh, worry of that, you'll be able to get back to the rat, to the basket. Just give him something else to look at. And I think the answer for Milwaukee, instead of, uh, and Giannis improving, they're going to try to improve the team, improve the players around him. Yeah, they just don't have another creator, right? I mean, that's the biggest issue. Like, people say you need to be able to space the floor and you need shooters, and they kind of have shooters. They just don't have another creator. Like, Chris Middleton, I think, is a good player, and and he's a really good complementary piece because he doesn't have to be ball-dominant, and he can be a really good catch-and-shoot guy. But you need another creator, and, and, I mean, Giannis is kind of the only guy there. Yeah, and Bledsoe is supposed to be that guy, right? He's He's the point guard. Uh, combo guard. He's the, he's the other ball handler on the floor, but Bledsoe's another guy. When the playoffs come, his numbers go down, and his his shooting is is awful. Like when, I remember watching him against the Heat, and it just didn't seem like he had it at all. So I feel like if anyone is going to be shipped off, it's going to be Bledsoe from Milwaukee. You mentioned James Wiseman. I, I think he's really interesting. I like him a lot. I, I kind of have an issue in today's NBA with taking a big, like, number one overall, or, or maybe even in the top few picks. Now, again, this year might be the exception, and, and I could probably be swayed against this statement in this season. But I think in terms of value and the way the game is played and, and what bigs give you versus what you could just go find in free agency or taking just a few shots in the second round on some guys, overseas guys. It's just kind of like running backs in the NFL. Like, it just doesn't seem like the value is there for me to take a guy like that, one, two, or three, when you look all across the league. There are so many bigs that that guys have gotten late or teams have gotten late. They've developed them. Um, you know, I, I used this example yesterday. The Lakers went and got Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee off the trash heap. Like, nobody wanted those dudes. And they were just like, okay, we'll just take you and you, and, and we'll use you depending on the matchup. And, like, that's just the way the game is played. You Volume is just not there for bigs, to, in my mind, to be taken that high. Uh, so, McGee and, and, and Dwight are interesting because in the bubble – 
Uh, well, and, and during the season, they were used quite a bit. Like, they, they McGee was a starter playing high minutes, Dwight coming off the bench playing high minutes. But in the bubble, when you get into these playoff series, they were kind of – you kind of couldn't play him. You couldn't play him against Houston. Miami presented problems for him. So I see where you're coming from. But, you know, I think Wiseman just has a, um, a special t- a talent, kind of like I feel his ceiling, can, he can be one of the best bigs in the league if you develop him the right way, if he goes to the right situation. Um, you got guys like Embiid, you got guys like Jokic who have just like undeniable talent where you have to play these guys 35 plus minutes. I feel like, me personally, I feel like Wiseman can be on that level. I feel like he has a high ceiling. But if not, if he if he's not developed the right way, he's what, 6'11", 7 foot? In, in, in that sense, he can be another Clint Capella or somebody who's catching lobs, but he won't probably get uh, as much playing time. So, yeah. And there are just a bunch of those guys, I feel like. There, there are just a bunch of Clint Capellas in the league. And, uh, look, if you tell me that James Wiseman is going to be, uh, you know, Jokic or Bam Adebayo or somebody like that that gives you that much versatility, I'm all in. I No, no question. I'll take him number one overall. But I just think the rule with bigs is those guys are kind of the exception. And for the most part, if you don't have that guy, I don't think you're getting big-time volume. And it makes more sense to, to take even a flyer on a guy that might have more upside as a perimeter player. Goodness. How, how good is Bam, though? Oh. <laughs> Bam, I yeah. mean, to be 6'8 and to be playing uh, among the giants of the league – and then to be able to defend on the perimeter, guard uh, pretty much all five uh, all five positions. I mean, he's interchangeable. On I mean, it's it's incredible. And and his athleticism is off the charts. He's got that fifteen to seventeen foot jumper. Yeah, he can attack off the dribble. I mean, he's a big that we haven't seen in the league for a long time, or not, I mean, pretty much ever. Uh, his versatility is off the charts. You can call me crazy, but. I think in terms of bigs, the only two guys I'm taking above him are Anthony Davis and Jokic. Yeah, I'm, I, man, I, yeah, I, I, I'll have to agree. I, I'm kind of wanting to take Embiid because of his potential, but he can't stay on the floor. Bam, yeah, I'll definitely take him third. Yeah, well, and, and Embiid, it just feels like, has these great nights followed by, like, disappearing acts. And I, I don't know. Like, I, Bam Adebayo shows up every night and plays his ass off. Like, he plays hard. And he gives it to you on both sides of the floor, and he's so versatile. Like, in today, people don't talk enough, I feel like, in today's NBA about versatility and how valuable a player is when they're versatile and can give you different things. Because it's such a specialized league that, for the most part, teams, like, try and find one star player, surround them with specialists, you know, maybe one guy that defends, one guy that shoots a three, and you just try and find these specialists in all these areas. So when you get a a high-end player that is versatile in his game and can do a lot of different things, especially defensively, like, like, bam, it's, it's, uh, I mean, that's invaluable. Right. So I I think the league should, or teams in the league definitely need to look for more versatility, which I think they do. But you see that like the Lakers, how versatile is that squad? I mean, Kate with KCP with Danny green, LeBron, AD, 
you can pretty much put them anywhere. You can put them uh, defensively. That's why they were such a good team. Uh, Caruso, uh, and then like uh, Marquise Morris. That is a pretty good versatile yeah. team. And the same thing with the Miami Heat on the other side. You got Iguodala, who's versatile. Butler, versatile. Adebayo, versatile. Jay Crowder, versatile. I mean, and, and, and these are the teams that made it to the finals. So more teams should look towards that versatility. Amen, brother. Amen. Uh, all right. I, I don't know how deep you've looked into the NBA draft. Is there anybody toward maybe the, the bottom half of the first round to you that sticks out as a Thunder guy? Ooh, a Thunder guy. Well, my def- my personal definition of a Thunder guy is a long, lanky defender who is uh, very athletic. And can't shoot. I personally um, haven't seen anyone that I know of that could be a Thunder guy. Um, what about you? Mm, I'm not there yet. Maybe ask me next yeah. week. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I agree. I'm, I'm not really there yet, but, I mean, if there's any long, lanky defenders who uh, who are versatile defenders but kind of lack a jump shot, uh, that's definitely that's a Thunder guy. That's it. <laughs> well, it's funny because when the Chris Paul Phoenix Suns rumors started, my immediate thought was, go get Josh Jackson. And then I, <laughs> I, I didn't even realize that he wasn't there anymore and he was in Minnesota, but yeah. I was like – Josh Jackson is a Thunder guy. Thunder I mean, that guy. is the absolute definition of a Thunder guy. What is it? He's like 6'8", 6'9", incredibly athletic. Again, can kind of play the 2, 3, 4 positions. Can't shoot with a lick. But, I mean, great in transition and, yeah. Yeah, so, um, for me, when I look at Phoenix's roster, and I'm like, okay, Kelly Oubre would definitely help the Thunder because he's a, he's a defender and he can shoot. But when you look at it, you're just like, man, are the Thunder really going to get him? Because he can actually shoot. Are the Thunder, are the Thunder actually going to get him? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I also think he's a guy that Sam Presti would love, and it makes all the sense in the world that that would be a guy Sam Presti would go after. If you're Phoenix, you know, I, this is where it gets really interesting because obviously if they're getting Chris Paul, they're wanting to build a winner immediately. What I guess my question would be, what are the pieces to Phoenix that they feel like they don't want to get rid of, the untouchables? And to me, it's obviously Booker and Aiton are, are untouchable. I think Mikel Bridges is untouchable, not because he's like some sensational talent, but he's a perfect complimentary piece. Again, 3 and D guy that is not a problem in any way and just, I mean, does all the small things that help championship teams win, right? Like a KCP type of guy that we saw this postseason for the Lakers. Um, and then Cam Johnson is a guy that, that I think I, – I think it would be really hard for Phoenix to let him go as well. But I don't know. May, maybe Sam Presti can can use whatever voodoo magic it is that, that he seems to whisper when he makes some of these deals. But Cam Johnson would be a great, great pick if you're able to somehow swindle them out of him. My, uh, my wish list, uh, per se, I guess I would want the Thunder to get um, – Rubio, uh, Ubre, and Cam Johnson. That's pretty much what people have been saying uh, would be the return. And I think as far as the untouchables for the for the Suns, Booker, Aiton, uh, and out, outside of them two, I really don't see any other untouchables. You think they'd move Bridges? Ooh, 
Well, I think they they move either one of Ubre or Bridges, but they don't move them both, obviously. Yeah. Uh, one of them too. And then, uh, but when you look at Phoenix's roster, they're really close to uh, being a playoff team. They're missing just like that one piece. I really feel like they they definitely think that Chris Paul is that piece. So, I mean, look at all the shooting that they have from their bigs. They have yeah. Kaminsky, Saric. I mean, Aiton, he's, a, he's really good around the basket. So when you look at it, I mean, Rubio's a good point guard, but he's no Chris Paul. So if they're able to get Chris Paul, that definitely will take them over the top. What in the hell is the Thunder going to do with three point guards again? Are they going to play Rubio, Schroeder, and SGA together like they did with Chris Paul this year? I mean, it, it, wor- it worked. I mean, when you look at it, the three-point guard lineup for the Thunder, everyone was talking about how effective it was, especially late in games. But you got to think, Chris Paul, his IQ is through the roof. Schroeder, his IQ is – it's up there. I mean, I'm not going to say it's through the roof, but his IQ is up there. And SGA, learning from Chris Paul, I mean, he took a major step this year. So when you got those three guys on the floor, it's really hard – to kind of key in on it, any one of them. And then you had Gallinari on the perimeter also and Steven Adams inside. So that, that lineup was just so effective. And then uh, when you have, when you have three guards out there, the, uh, the pace, the pace, the space and everything that the, that coach D is talking about when those, when those three were in the game, that was pretty much ran. Well, it's going to be really interesting to watch. I feel like over the next week, uh, the rumors are going to be flying, and and more than just OKC. Obviously, we're a week away from the draft, so uh, that's really the time that all this gets kick-started, and you know, you're going to hear everything under the sun. But I really do believe that if they move Chris Paul to the Phoenix Suns before next Wednesday night, the Thunder will be selecting at number 10. Agreed. I agree. But I also heard a rumor that Kawhi Leonard's been uh, talking to Chris Paul trying to recruit him to the Clippers. So the Thunder are going to get the every other Clippers draft pick known to man for the rest of time at this point? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if they have anything left, but I think we'll see a package right. with uh, a bunch of draft picks, and maybe we'll get Patrick Beverly in an OKC uniform. Speaking, <laughs> by the way, speaking of the Clippers, I did see uh, – that would be great, by the way. Um <laughs> Fans wouldn't even know what to do with themselves. Right. Uh, Starting for your Oklahoma City Thunder at point guard. (laughs) God, that would be amazing. Um, I did see a short list, I guess, a a Russell Westbrook wish list of teams to be traded to. One of them was the Clippers, which I thought was really amusing considering Patrick Beverly's there, Paul George is there. That one just kind of seems funky. I think Milwaukee was on that list. Uh, What was the other one? Maybe the Miami Heat. Dude, nobody is nobody. None of those teams are are gonna make the decision to let Russell Westbrook come in and and, and be, be like the guy he wants to be. Russell OKC Russell Westbrook. Right. He's not gonna be able to do that unless he comes like back to OKC. And I, he at this point in his career, I'm sure he wants to compete now, compete for a championship, and that's just not where the Thunder are. But as far as his fit, him fitting with the Miami Heat. Spolstra and Pat Riley, they're not going for Russ to be that guy. Uh, the Clippers, they're not going for Russ to be that guy. They just want him to be uh, a guy who moves the ball, gets guys in the right spot. But as far as Russ getting triple-doubles every night, uh, the Clippers aren't going for that. And then Milwaukee with Giannis, I don't like that pairing at all. Um, when you talk about uh, two of basically the same players and then you get them in a playoff setting, uh, 
Two ball dominant guys that can't shoot. Yeah, um, I don't see that going well for Milwaukee yeah. at all. I, I was thinking about this. So, so I, literally, be honest with me. Other than the New York Knicks, I can't think of a single team that would welcome Russell Westbrook right now, today, to come play OKC Russell Westbrook basketball. That's, like, who, would, who my, does it make sense for? Nobody. That, that was my perfect scenario. Um, if there's any team who could take Russ and everything he brings to the table, on and off the court, it's New York. I think they're a match made in heaven. But um, if, thinking about it, another team that would Ooh. Maybe Charlotte. Um, yeah, but, I mean, Russ wants to go to a contender. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm sure there's there's a lot of teams as far as, like, uh, teams who aren't contending, like the Knicks, like the Hornets. Right. Like, those guys, those teams will let Russ come and do whatever he wants. I well, mean, but even, like, like Sacramento's no good, but they're not going to hand – they're not going to give the keys from De'Aaron Fox to Russell Westbrook. Absolutely not, because De'Aaron Fox has – uh, such a ceiling and right. faster than Russ, younger than Russ. I mean, yeah. Hey, maybe yeah. Billy Donovan would love to have him back in Chicago. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, that's another team. That... <laughs> if the if the GM of the Chicago Bulls sat Billy Donovan down and said, "I'm thinking about getting Russell Westbrook to be our point guard," do you think Billy Donovan slaps him and then walks out, or just walks out? Uh. I- I, you know, B- Billy Donovan seems like he's uh, a really nice guy, but I think when it comes to that situation, he might just turn and walk out. <laughs> he this might become a rocket himself and, and literally box. like blast off and and like go through the roof. Right. Yeah. In the nicest way possible, say this is not what I signed up for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. All right. Let's switch gears. Uh, UFC. Let's rewind to last week first, and then we'll start moving ahead. So I was, I, I've been stoked about Glover Teixeira, Tiago Santos for months. And this was already a main event that got delayed once. So by the time we got to last Saturday night, I was so excited for it. I was on the edge of my seat as, as you know, they do all the introductions. And then as soon as the fight starts, I stand up. I get out of my seat and stand up because I was too, like, energized. I didn't sit down again. I, I watched the entire fight standing because it was just so crazy, and and the way that that thing ended up playing out, like that was just a hell of a fight. And like I, after it was all done, I finally sat down, and I was just like, "What in the hell did I just watch?" Glover Teixeira just did something that was just unbelievable. Yeah, Glover Teixeira at 41 years old to be able to compete like he is, five straight wins, and going into this fight with Tiago, I'm thinking, man, you know, Tiago's coming off that layoff. But his hands are hands of stone. I mean, if he touches Glover, Glover's gonna go yeah, to sleep. That was yeah. my original thought. So the fight goes on, and he touched Glover, touched Glover a few times. Glover stumbled, falls, you know. And I'm like, okay, uh, it's gonna be a wrap here pretty soon. But for Glover to be able to withstand that, to be able to withstand that at 41, I see. I didn't think the odds was in his favor with that front. I thought his chin was gonna. I thought Tiago exactly. was going to be the guy to test his chin to the point where it, there was no uh, coming back from it. But Tiago, or uh, but Glover, I should say, weathered that storm, and then I think Tiago used so much gas that he wasn't prepared to use that it kind of cost him in the later round or in the second and third round. And he did have another outburst in the third, 
but Glover withstood that. And once that one, once he withstood that, I think Thiago was like, man, you know what? Today's just not my day. The fact that he survived those shots to still do yeah. what he did to me is probably the most remarkable thing. And that's also while watching him completely dominate Thiago on the ground, especially in round two, like that was complete dominance to the point that I was just like, it's, it's done. There's no chance that he's coming back from this fight. And then he almost had him at the end of round two. He gets the choke and, and you just thought, is he going to pass out before the bell? And, and he just made it just in time. And even as Glover Teixeira let go of the chokehold, you saw Tiago still on all fours, like trying to breathe before he got up and went to the stool. That was an amazing fight. I absolutely believe Tiago Santos is going to be a future champion in that division. But right now, it's Glover Teixeira that, that deserves the shot. Dana White, I, I thought was as honest as he could be after that fight and was like, yeah, I want him to get a shot. He deserves a shot. There's this... I, I hate this scenario in the UFC where you get these division champs that decide to move up or down, wherever you want to go. Uh, most of the time, it's move up. Uh, and basically put a roadblock in two divisions. And it's just... It's super annoying to me. I don't like when it happens. Now, look, I, I, I like the fight... Don't get me wrong. If if Adesanya and Jan Blachowicz, or Blahovich, if they fight, I will be in front of the television absolutely jacked up for that fight, and I'm going to love every second of it. But what I'm talking about is long-term, I just hate what it does to two divisions where guys are just sitting on their hands waiting to fight again, and especially for a guy like Glover Teixeira that's 41, we could be talking about a year from now until he gets a title shot. So... I would like this more, Izzy and Jan. I would like it a lot more if these guys didn't have number one contenders waiting to fight them. Robert Whitaker, we just saw him beat Jared Cannonier, who was going to be the next guy in line for the shot. Robert beats him. He's a former champion. He deserves that rematch. Glover is on a five-fight win streak. He beat Tiago Santos. He destroyed Anthony Smith. I mean, if, if, that, if these two last wins for Glover aren't, like glaring as to why he deserves a title shot, I don't know what is. But of course, Dana White, Israel Adesanya, he sees money in that, so he's gonna go and he's gonna give him that title shot. And of course, us as us as fans, we're gonna watch, we're gonna buy, but it just sucks. And for we're gonna guys love the fight who, too, right? Uh, it just sucks for those guys who uh, have put in so much work. I mean, Rob, I mean. After he lost to Israel, I, I thought he was going to be a guy who was just going to come back and lose his Disappear. next two or three. Yeah. Exactly. He comes back in a, in a five-round barn burner with Darren Till, gets the win. And then with Jared Cannonier, basically uh, made him made him like he was in quicksand. Like, goodness gracious. Jared Cannonier is a knockout artist. He was throwing leg kicks the whole fight. And uh, Glover Teixeira, the same thing. He's been mauling guys, basically basically uh, another Khabib, basically, mauling guys on the ground and getting submissions. So, it uh, sucks for those guys, but, I mean, Izzy Yan is very intriguing. Yeah. You know, as far as the Robert Whitaker part, like, at least there, those guys have fought in the past. Like, Whitaker and Adesanya has happened. Um, it, it needs to happen again, and Whitaker is absolutely deserving of a title shot. But... We've seen that fight. It has happened. Whitaker is a former champ. Like, Glover Teixeira is 41. He's not fought, you know, they, he's not had a, a throwdown with Blahovich. It just, it feels like that's what needs to happen. Now, the interesting part is 
what happens if it, Izzy beats Jan? I, I don't think that the UFC would put a Glover Izzy fight together. It just does. Uh, I think Glover would maul him, and it would it would just be gruesome. And Izzy is probably one of the top five stars in the sport. So I see Dana White basically saying Glover's next. Uh, he's going to get the next title shot. Uh, whoever wins of uh, Izzy on Glover's next. But then all of a sudden, coming out of the woodworks, here comes John Jones. John Jones. And then how do you how do you deny John Jones? a shot at the light heavyweight title or how do you deny Izzy and John fighting or Jan and John fighting? If John wants that shot, Dan is going to say, I mean, John's the goat. I can't deny John that fight. So, I mean, I think Glover's in a lose-lose situation. I don't see, uh, I don't see it working out well for, I think the only thing that will be for Glover, Dan is going to say, why don't you just be the replacement fight for this, uh, Izzy and uh, Jan fight. Uh, yeah, if any of those guys fall out, you got the shot, buddy. And, you know, yeah. Glover's not going to want that. Well, and the other part of this equation that sucks is also the heavyweight situation because potentially John Jones is in play there as well. But we've got Francis Ngannou, who's been waiting to fight since May, and he's going to be fighting, waiting to fight until probably next summer when Stipe's finally f- ready to go again. And you're going to talk... You know, this is also... It, the timing of this sport is is so frustrating because Francis Ngannou is now in the prime of his career. He's never been better. And potentially we're going to see a year go by where he doesn't fight. But even when you look back at what the last like year and a half, his last four fights, I think the total fight time is less than two minutes. Goodness. Like, I mean, we could be talking Francis- about a three-year stretch where Francis Ngannou is in the prime of his career and is going to have a total of, like, five fights that equate to less than, like, three minutes of actual octagon time. What is Francis supposed to do? I mean, right. when, you, when you look at the rest of the guys in the division, he's fought all of them. He, the, next, the next contender behind him, I believe, is Curtis Blades. He's beat him twice in the first round in less than a minute, I think, both fights. Who's... Who's he to fight? Yeah. Rosen, Rosenstrike. He starched him in 20 seconds. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else he's fought. Um, well, anyways. Derek, Derek Lewis fought, would be, he lost to Derek Lewis in 2018. So that would probably that be the. last lost. Yeah. And, I mean, that fight was so, whew, I, I, I would like to see them run that back and actually fight. But uh, Derek Lewis has Curtis Blades coming up. But uh, right, man, for, it, it sucks for Francis because he's beaten everybody yeah. except yeah. Derek Lewis, except the champion. He's won four or five in a row. The title shot is what's next. But you know, Stipe. But you gotta wait. Stipe, but you know, Stipe's the champion. He's like, man, I've beat him already. Like, well, do I really have to fight him again? I'm sure if he's if he's looking, he's like, man, uh, I'm 38. You know. It was a tough one. You know, He's. I'm sure he's gotten better with his takedown defense. I might have to stand with this guy a little bit longer. I mean, uh, I, I'm sure for Steve, hey, that's not the most intriguing fight for him. Then you got John Jones, who's on the outside, and he's yeah. like, man, let me put on weight. Uh, and when you think about it, Steve is the most accomplished heavyweight of all time. John Jones is perhaps the greatest fighter of all time. That could be that's such an intriguing fight for Stipe. And he's looking at Francis like, ah, uh, like I'm not I can't really get up for this one. 
So, I mean, it's interesting, man. It look, it look, it's looking like Stipe and Francis is the fight, but Stipe is going to prolong this as long as he can. All right, so here you go on Ngannou's last four. November of 2018, Curtis Blades in 45 seconds. February of 2019, Cain Velasquez in 26 seconds. Cain Velasquez. June in 2019, Junior Dos Santos in a minute 11 seconds. And then May 2020, Rosenstrike in 20 seconds. So it's been two years right now in November, going back to November 2018, that Curtis Blades fight. Two years right now where he has four wins in, in approximately a little over two minutes of octagon time. And we still are talking about potentially his next fight being six months away. And the last time he fought was May. That's incredible. You give, you give anybody else that type of resume for their last four fights, they're getting title shot immediately. Yeah. Kane Velasquez, Hall of Famer. Junior Dos Santos, Hall of Famer. Curtis Blades, outside of the champion and Francis, he's got to be the best that there is uh, in that division. Anybody else with that resume, they're getting a title shot uh, immediately. But, you know, it just sucks for Francis, man. He's put in the work. He's he's beaten everybody that uh, has been put in front of him. But he's playing the waiting game. Here's how I feel about it. You give Francis Ngannou the heavyweight title shot against Stipe. You give Glover Teixeira the light heavy title shot against Jan. And then you do maybe the biggest fight in the history of the UFC, Izzy Adesanya against John Jones. If Jones wins that fight, then you give him a heavyweight fight and he could he could undisputedly be the greatest of all time. If Izzy wins that fight, then you go give him the, the winner of, of the light heavyweight title at that point. And then you're not slowing down either division, and you get a blockbuster. See that that's the perfect scenario, right? But Izzy doesn't want John right now. Izzy wants John when he when he's ready for John, and he said it before, July 2021. I'm looking outside of my uh, yeah. hotel window yeah. at uh, Raider Stadium. I see it. That one there. I'm gonna fight John there in July. It's got to be the biggest fight, you know. But really, when you think about it. Izzy doesn't want to fight Rob. Okay, that's fine. The light heavyweight title, uh, the light heavyweight division has a number one contender. Jan versus Glover. The heavyweight division has a number one contender. Uh, Stipe and Francis. John is sitting over here. Okay, I'm just going to put on muscle, whatever. Izzy doesn't want to fight Rob right now. It's, it's simple. I mean, you laid it out perfect. It's simple. Izzy, John, just book that fight for July. <laughs> why, why does the title have to be involved in it at all? Right, yeah, exactly. There, there doesn't need to be a title fight there. That's about legacy, which I kind of feel like both guys view as way more significant than a belt in the UFC anyway. Exactly. That fight sells itself. Israel Adesanya, John Jones. I'm glued to the TV. Like, I'm it would be the greatest fight in UFC fight. history. It, it, easily. The highest skilled fight. I mean, probably the most... I don't know about the most biased because Conor McGregor, I mean, he he gets the whole world to buy his fights, but goodness gracious. Uh, a fight between Jones and Izzy, just the styles and just how John has been so invincible for so long and what Izzy presents, the way he stands. Uh, John has said, everyone I fought can knock me out, but are you skilled enough to land the punch? Is there a more skilled striker in the UFC than Israel Adesanya? Goodness. Nope. I mean, just the 
just the styles, man. It's it's so intriguing. I like Izzy in that fight, actually. I do too. And John, I'm one of the biggest John supporters that there is. But John has looked slow, and Izzy finds finds his shots, man. Uh, he'll make people come out of their game plan quick. If John can't get a hold of him and get him down, and John has struggled to get people down recently, yeah. He's, if he's forced to stand with Izzy, whew. I, I thought, know, uh, I, and I don't know that I would expect Izzy to knock him out. I don't think Izzy would knock him out, but I think it would be a five rounder, and I think it would be an Izzy decision. I think he would just outstrike him over the course of five rounds. And uh, you know, I, I look at John, and I, I thought he lost to Dominic uh, Reyes. I, I I would have scored it for Reyes. I thought Reyes won the first three, and then Jones obviously dominated the final two. But um, I was kind of blown away with that decision. I thought John looked very average against uh, Tiago Santos when Tiago had blown both knees in that fight. like, And neither right. one of those guys strikes the way that Izzy does. I mean, Izzy is so precise. Tiago, Tiago is really, really fast. I think John, he knew, when he knew, I'm sure he knew he got hurt. But just the threat of trying to go in there and yeah. have with how fast Tiago is, it kind of made him a little more cautious. So I think John just wanted to, you know, get the decision and he ended up almost losing so that cost him dominic reyes i think john trade trained really hard for that fight uh his body looked better than i've seen it in in a long time and i really feel like dominic presented i mean he said in his interviews before that fight like my athleticism my movement my footwork and everything is going to present john problems and john's like man this guy's out of his mind like you know do you know who i am but basically everything that dom said yeah. his movement his left true. hand I mean, he was running circles around John, and and John was in his space. You gotta give him credit. He was in his space and making Dom tired. But Dom was, I mean, Dom was doing his thing the first three rounds, but John dominated the last two. I gave it, I did give uh, the third round to John okay. because I could kind of see the tide uh, starting to shift a little bit, and Dom getting kind of tired and starting to throw a lot less. And in in those moments. John was able to capitalize. So I, I scored it for John, but I wouldn't have been mad at a, a Reyes decision either. Yeah. I, I thought it was Reyes. If if that weren't John Jones, I, I don't think anybody's giving him that round. That's like my right. th- that's kind of the way I looked at it. I was like, I think Reyes won, but because Reyes definitely won the first two, and then John has now decided to kind of turn things up a little bit. I still thought Reyes won, but because he turned it up, he was like I think everybody was like, Okay, here comes John Jones. And, and maybe that was where he got the point. I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong as well, but I, I definitely thought Reyes... I was like, John Jones is going to have to knock him out now. Like, it's there's no question in my mind, at least, it's going to have to be a knockout. And then I was stunned when they announced that decision. Although I shouldn't be, because I think... I mean, we've seen this for so long. If it's close, they're probably going to give the guy that is a, a more known quality fighter the the you know the benefit of the doubt, I think. Yeah, so when they were reading the decision, it was 48-47, 48-47, and then they read 49-46. So when they read that one, I was yeah. like, okay, John didn't win four rounds. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I was like, okay, John didn't win four rounds, yeah. so Ray is one. So I was just like, I was preparing for the and new. When they said and still, I was like, oh, my gosh, John Crazy. really pulled it out. What judge gave John four rounds? I mean, I'm like I said, I'm a really big John Jones supporter, but I'll be the first to admit he did not win four rounds. And it just seemed like during that fight, he was just kind of waiting for Reyes to kind of slow down. And it, it, he didn't pick it up until the fourth round. I think 
in any fight John's in, you can pretty much bank those fourth and fifth rounds because his gas tank is out of this world. But, you know, in the first three, he just kind of, you know, he sticks to his game plan. He doesn't overexert himself. I'll say that. He doesn't overexert himself in the first three rounds while those other guys are just piling up on the numbers. Right. And then he just waits to the fourth and fifth round, and he's like, okay, I'll take over here. Yeah. And uh, it almost cost him in, in, the, in his last two fights. So this Saturday we have Paul Felder stepping in with five days' notice to take on RDA, which I think is going to be just an all-out war. Man, when I got the news that Paul Felder was taking the fight, I don't think, I don't think there was any other scenario where this could have been more exciting. And then when you, when you think that Paul Felder has been training for a triathlon, so he's in shape, he's going to be able to go five rounds with him. And then when you think about what Paul Felder brings to the table, what he brings to a fight, right. pure violence. And you know what RDA brings to the fight. So just those styles clashing, man, it's exciting. The last time we saw Paul Felder was that five-round war against Dan Hooker, which was a great fight. And it, it kind of just felt defeating at that point for Paul Felder. And, and look, I, I think he is tremendous as far as the broadcast goes, and I think that's his future. I was kind of worried that we were never going to see him again. Again, because he's so good at the broadcast side of things. And it, that just felt like such a deflating loss for him. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad that he's coming back. I think this is, this is the perfect scenario for him, right? There's zero expectation. He hasn't fought in a long time. It's short notice. It's a guy that absolutely demands your very best. I mean, go in there and just brawl. Like, this is this is kind of the as easy as it gets with, with zero expectation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a no-lose for him. I mean, he's coming in on five days' notice. He doesn't have any pressure. I mean, he's the number seven ranked or a contender in lightweight division, but if he, do, if he doesn't win this fight, people aren't going to look at him like, uh, I think he's done, like, you know, he took this fight on five days' notice. And to, and for him to be training for a triathlon, uh, it's going to translate over to his fighting. So I really think we're going to see uh, the one of the best versions of Paul Felder, to be honest with you. But that Dan Hooker fight, I had him winning. When they I did read too. the scorecards. I did too. I, I was pretty disappointed that they gave it to Dan Hooker. Yeah, same, for sure. Uh, how do you feel about RDA? Where do you think he is? Because I... I you know, it's funny when we, we have a guy like this who has, you know, kind of accumulated some some L's and you start looking back at like their last four or five fights and, and there's a lot of L's piling up that we just kind of just write them off and think they're done. I absolutely don't think that's the case here. I think it's really easy to do that, though. But I think even more so when you just look at who he's fought recently, especially yeah. at 170, Right. He goes the distance with Leon Edwards, goes the distance with Kamaru Usman, goes the distance with Colby Covington. That's got to say something about the guy. He's a former lightweight champion. He, he had a long reign. Uh, he defended the title, I believe, three times, beat some of the best guys. I mean, he's one of the guys, he's one of the only guys that I've seen stop Benson Henderson back when Benson Henderson yeah. wasn't getting stopped by anybody. Uh, beat Donald Cerrone twice, and Donald Cerrone at that time was on eight like a eight or nine fight winning streak and he stopped and he, and he stopped him twice uh i think one of the, his only losses was to uh, uh young khabib in in the lightweight division but outside of that and then i believe he lost to ferguson as well and that that's what made him move up yeah. to uh 170 but when you look at it 
he's fought the very best at 170. After, there was a time when they were looking at RDA as a, a potential uh, title fight in the in 170, and I think he might have got one. I think it was just an interim title fight against against Colby, right? Uh, against Colby, yeah. yes, it, um, it was against Colby. But when you look at it, he's fighting the very best at 170, and I think he didn't really need to go up to 170 when he did. And I think he wasted a few years at 170. I think he should have came back down a lot sooner. But he's definitely, looking at the division, he's still one of the top guys at the division right now. And I think with this fight with Paul Felder, we'll see where he's really at. But, I mean, I think fighting those guys at 170, it's going to help him because these guys at 155 aren't as strong as Kamaru Usman or Kobe Covington. Or, and a lot of them don't strike as well as Leon Edwards, even though there are some really good strikers. So he's going to be fighting guys more his size, and uh, he's not going to be able to, he's not going to be getting mauled, uh, or maybe unless he fights Khabib again, but he's not going to be getting mauled by these guys at 155. A win for him here at 155 to me is really intriguing because this division, I, I felt like for a while, has been the best division in UFC. And, and it, it obviously has featured the most dominant champion as well. So, like, those things should probably not be the same thing. Like, you, you probably shouldn't have the most dominant champion, but also consider that to be the most dominant division. But when you look at, I mean, Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor, uh We'll see how Tony Ferguson bounces back. I'm, I'm kind of skeptical. I hope he bounces back and is the same guy. When you take a beating like that, I'm just kind of skeptical as to just w what your mind frame is going to be like the next time you get back in the octagon. But I hope Tony Ferguson is still the same guy. Uh, Michael Chandler has now entered this division. And then potentially RDA right back into the mix at 155. It's the most entertaining division. And, and on top of being great... Like, how many of these dudes are in the elite group of entertainers in the sport? Exactly, exactly. Conor McGregor, entertainer. Dustin Poirier, one of the best fighters in the UFC. He probably uh, has Justin three Gaethje. of the top five most exciting fights I've ever seen. Absolutely. And then uh, Justin Gaethje, he's going to give you a fight of the night. Yeah. Uh, easy. Same thing and for then, Tony. You, yeah, and, and you say, Tony, you hope he's going to be the same guy, but, you know, Tony's not wired the same as a lot that's, of these guys. That's very true. You know, he's the guy that's going to make weight when he doesn't have to. Like, who who does that? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and, and I think that's one thing that kind of affected them in that fight because he made weight twice within three weeks. That I think that kind of played a part. I mean, not to take anything away from what Justin did that night, but, I mean, Tony uh, – deflating himself twice in yeah. a matter of three or four weeks. I mean, that's going to take a toll on him. But as far as uh, moving forward, that's El Kukui, man. <laughs> he's going to go out there and he's going to be the same crazy guy. Now, his ability to take shots, I mean, I don't know, because he took so many of them by Gaethje. I mean, I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how his chin is going to be looking after a uh, beating like that. Dude, my chin was starting to hurt in that fight. Good <laughs> Lord. And what's crazy is he didn't he wasn't dropping, but you right. saw the you saw the impact, like his like how far the shots were taking him back. I was like, man, like how is he not down yet? Massive damage in that fight. Right, right. And uh but when you look at the rest of the division, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with Michael Chandler. It's gonna be interesting to see what happens going forward with Gaethje. And now uh 
they're saying Khabib is not retired, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Khabib. I think with Khabib staying, that opens up a fight with Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje. If Khabib were to come back, and I know there there are the the GSP uh, rumors that that might be the thirtieth and final fight, and I don't know, that one doesn't really do a whole lot for me. If if that is not in the equation, and he's going to defend the belt one more time at one fifty five, he's beaten Connor in dominant fashion, I might add. Although Connor may have fought him better than anybody else, Gaethje in the second. Uh, was Poirier, I think, was in the second or third. And that was a... I mean, he just smothered him the entire fight. That was a dominant finish. Um, I mean, do you give Tony... Like, maybe you give Tony Michael Chandler, and if Tony wins, then he finally gets his title shot. Maybe that's the 30th. Like, I'm trying to think of the best storybook ending for Habib if he's going to have one more, and it's a 155 fight, and who that would be. But again, I mean, you're talking about he's beat the who's who of that division already and, and beat them all in dominant fashion, which is why, I, you know, I, I, I think he's the GOAT, but that's another conversation. So, man, this 30th fight, like you said, uh, GSP doesn't really do it for me either because if, if they're going to fight for the lightweight championship, GSP drop it all the way to 155, uh I just don't think that it would be even remotely close. I think Khabib would maul him like he mauls everybody else. I think we'll see a, we would see a depleted version of GSP. So if that one's out of the equation, uh, if Dana if Dana had it his way, Connor would beat Poirier and Khabib would fight Connor again, and they would have a, a whole bunch of pay per views to sell and everything. Yeah. Uh, that would be Dana's dream scenario. I, I don't uh, think Khabib would take that fight. I don't think he'll do yeah, it again. It, Exactly. I don't yeah. think he would take that fight. And when you say, I don't care if they pay me five, ten billion dollars to fight, <laughs> right. I'm not going to do it. Goodness, that that's true disdain right there. <laughs> I mean, if you're not going to take that much money to fight a man, right, or to, to even give a man notoriety or anything, that's true disdain. He hates that dude. He like, hates that man. Hates that guy. It, it, it is. It, it's crazy. It's a different type of hate. You've seen Bad Blood, right? Uh, with like Jones and Cormier, but <laughs> right. they don't even hate each other like that. Like, right. If you put a million dollars on the table, those two guys are going to fight each other. <laughs> Absolutely. But for Khabib, there's no amount of money that you can give him to fight this man, and that's that's true disdain. Yeah. Well, and and he he also doesn't even view Connor as being in the same classes as him either. So like he hates him, and he doesn't even think the guy's a challenge. So. It's kind of like the double-edged sword there where, you know, I think Habib wants to beat the best, but he's already faced Connor, and Connor really wasn't a threat to him at all. I mean, there were a couple of moments, but for the most part, I mean, that was Habib fought the fight he wanted to fight, and and I even felt like watching that fight that night, and I, I, I texted you the other day, I was re-watching it right after, after Habib had retired, ESPN Plus put up, like, some of his greatest fights. Even watching it back, it almost felt like Habib was just trying to prolong the thing to to just give him as much punishment as he possibly could. When you told me that, I, re- I rewatched the fight that, that next day. And I said before you texted me that, I said, I was like, Connor fought Habib the best. He took him to the fourth round. Nobody yeah. else has went to the fourth round with him. But after rewatching that fight, I really believe Khabib was really just trying to maul him, <laughs> yeah. trying to punch him in the face as much as he could. Because 
with Dustin and Justin Gaethje, it seemed so easy for him. He took him down, put him in a choke. It was over that quick. But Connor, he mounted the man and was just trying to hit him as much as he could. Right. Top noise to him like, hey, let's talk now. Let's <laughs> right. talk. Come on. Let's talk now. And, and Connor's like, all right, man, it's only business. Like, <laughs> yeah, relax, man. But no, uh, Khabib, I really feel like he could have finished that he, in the second or third round because he had him mounted. And with these other guys, he's looking for the submissions. But with Connor, he mounted him and he's looking to punch his face off. And Joe Rogan even said on, on the broadcast that Khabib said that Khabib told him that he wanted to change his face. Goodness. How scary is that? Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Just, I mean, absolute dominance. Um, there was a time in this sport where, I mean, I probably 155 was about as low as I enjoyed watching. And, you know, the 145ers and the 135ers didn't really do a whole lot for me. And all of a sudden, like, oh, I feel like I feel like it's happened really fast, but I guess it hasn't happened that fast. It's it's been a couple years in the in the making, but like it just seems like out of nowhere, there are especially at one thirty five and one forty five, you have two divisions that are just loaded with I mean, star power type fighters that are knockout artists and can entertain you and main event cards on any given night. Right, man. Uh 145, Max Holloway. I mean, Aldo was the ruler of that division for a long time until Connor got him. But and then Max came and took the title back from Aldo. Goodness, man. And then Volkanovski. How good is he, man, to be able to beat Max twice when everyone thought that Max was the greatest? I mean, going into that fight, that first fight with Volkanovski, I was like, man, this is just another guy. He's short. He's yeah. not going to be able to do anything to Max. He went and took the fight to him. Kicked his legs just off. Just dominated him. Just dominated him. Yeah. And Max Max says that he thinks that he won that first fight. Brother, you, you, you were lucky to get one round in my mind. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> agreed. I thought it was, yeah, not even close. Definitely not that first fight. But the second fight, man, I, man, Max looked so good early. But as the fight was going on, Volkanovski's changed it up and uh, started to use his wrestling and uh, th th those one that one forty five title man just the just the top of that division with the Korean Zombie with uh, Who Brian Ortega, Ortega. just how, how dominated good, good lord man now if you would if you were to ask me before that fight would I have said Ortega beats him in a stand up fight I wouldn't have gave him a chance I wouldn't have gave him a, a percentage of a chance like yeah. I thought the Korean Zombie would have been able to knock him out but. He came and looked like a completely different fighter, man. Yeah. A lot of the times when these guys have these layoffs, they say, man, I, I, you know, I took the time to work on this. I took the time to work on that. But everything that Brian Ortega said that he worked on, he worked on. Got a whole, got new coaches. And everything that he worked on, that he said that he worked on, it showed in the fight. And yeah. he took chances. And he didn't even need his ground game, which is crazy to me. And he out he outclassed. Uh, the Korean Zombie, and if Ortega and uh, Volkanovski match up, that's going to be a hell of a fight, man. I think it's going to be a good one. Um, I'm with you. I, I thought the Holloway Ortega fight was just one of the most brutal things to watch because, it, oh man, like that thing ended, and and kind of like I, I mentioned a few minutes ago with Tony Ferguson, 
Like, I legitimately was concerned about what Brian Ortega was going to look like the next time he got in the octagon because he was just so badly dominated in brutal fashion that you just don't know how that messes with somebody's psyche. And to his credit, I I was stunned to see him look as good as he did. He looks like a, a champion caliber fighter. He deserves the shot. I can't wait to watch him against Volkanovski. I think that's going to be a hell of a fight. Um, that that was, I mean, just remarkable. I mean, that's the equivalent of somebody having like a career-ending injury in football, and then like two years later, I don't know, throwing for like five touchdowns in the Super Bowl or something. You know what I mean? Right, right. And and normally when you when you look at these guys, he was undefeated before, and when they have their first loss you kind of think that they're just going to come back and not look the same or just look worse. Yeah. But he looked 10 times better than he looked uh, when he fought Max. And to be honest with you, I think that Ortega against Max now, I don't know, Max. uh, Max might be here. He might, uh, might get it, man. Ortega looked that good. But the rest of the division, man, uh, Calvin Cater, he hasn't had a fight, but how good did he look against Jeremy Stevens on that card with yeah. uh, Ferguson and And then he beat Danny Gay uh, a couple beat months Danny ago. Yeah. I mean, he's in the running for a title shot, but he's got nobody to fight. Uh, the top of the division is pretty much uh, all booked up, but then you got Max. I'm sure what Dana was, was hoping, I think Dana wants Ortega to beat uh, – Volkanovski, that way Max can get another title shot because a third fight with with Max and Volkanovski, I mean we've seen it ten rounds. Yeah. Uh, I mean I'm I mean I'd watch it, but you know how easy is it going to be to sell a fight like that? But Ortega Holloway too, uh, I'm watching that for sure. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Max uh, Volkanovski three is a main eventer. It's probably a co-main Not eventer. I mean, if anything, so. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, yeah, that division is crazy. And and look, Edson Barboza just had a big win and kind of announced his presence once again. Uh, I'm just kind of looking at the top 15. Uh, we haven't seen Yair Rodriguez fight in a long time, have we? Man, they're they're trying to get uh, Yair and Zabit. Uh, oh, that'd be fight. a great fight. And they've been booking this fight over and over again. They were supposed to main event uh, in August, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and then somebody got hurt, or Yair got hurt. And then it was supposed to be on the uh, Khabib Gaethje card, and uh, that was another fight that uh, that got canceled. So they're trying to book that fight. That that's a fight between two uh, really promising prospects. Uh, Yair with his crazy striking style, and Zabit with his calculated striking style. I mean, the styles once again. I mean, the styles clashing. It's just intriguing to watch, but we just can't get that fight booked. Yeah. How do you feel about Aljamain Sterling getting a title shot finally against Damn. Peter Yawn? That's going to be, I think, a really great one. Aljamain's one of my favorites, man. He Watching him uh, go up, I mean, when he fought Marlon Moraes and he caught that knee, man, that vicious knee that knocked him out, and it was one of the most brutal knockouts that, that you can see. Comes back from that, and he's, and he's piled on about, about three or four in a row, and he's looked so good. And... I remember when I heard about him fighting Sanhagen, and I was like, ooh, man, you know, Sanhagen's taller. Uh, his striking's probably a little better. He's got good takedown. And, you know, I was like, this is probably a tough one for Aljo to win. And he went out there and made it look so easy. Yeah, man. it was like, like 30 seconds. Yeah, it, and 
outclassed him, got him in the positions that he needed to, and choked him out. When when that happened, I was like, okay, yeah. You can't deny this man a title shot, no matter if he got knocked out like that. And it took so long for the UFC to even give him that title shot because they were kind of holding out hope for Marlon. I was like, come on, man. Aljo's done his thing. He's won three or four in a row. You got It's, it's kind of the same situation as Glover, except there's no Izzy in the, right. in the picture. But, you know, they were trying not to give Aljo that title shot after winning so many fights. But, I mean, Aljo's earned it, man. And uh, but Peter Yan, how good is he, man? Oh, he was so he's, good against Aldo. He's, he's so relentless. I mean, his last couple fights, watching him fight Faber, I yeah. mean, Faber didn't stand a ch- <laughs> Faber didn't stand a chance. And he that that was he's a little so re- sad. Like it was just like right both fights with uh, with I, and Aldo and Faber. Even with the Yan Faber fight, I like I don't know. I, I guess I probably didn't even give Yan the credit he deserved in that fight. That was almost more of a situation where I was just like, man, Faber just needs to be done. And then next thing you know, like Yan's the the champ, and you're like, well, yeah, right. he's pretty good too, and that's that right. contributed. But I, I think collectively the thought was just kind of like more toward Faber being washed than right. maybe giving Yan the credit he deserved there. Right, man, and uh, Yan's boxing is incredible i mean aldo when he when he dropped down i was like okay he's probably going to become champion because of how his how good he looked with the weight cut uh he i thought he beat marlon marais uh i thought they agreed uh, i thought they failed on that decision so i i was okay with Aldo getting that title shot because i thought he won that fight agreed. but Jan looked so good against aldo and to think that's a former ch- uh, champion in a higher weight class and his striking has been so positive for so long, but Jan made him look like an amateur in some in some uh, exchanges, and then down the and then down the stretch of the fight, I mean, he had him mounted, and Otto took so many unnecessary shots. Refs should have stopped a long time ago. Uh, Jan Jan is a problem for sure, but Sterling presents some issues for him uh, on the ground. I don't think Sterling will want to stand with him too much. Uh, I think Sterling will want to use his wrestling, uh, but if he if Jan is able to keep it standing, Sterling might be in trouble. Yeah, I uh, I, I think we're going to see a belt exchange in that fight, but I expect a great one. And yeah, I just think Sterling is uh, multi-dimensional, and that could give Jan some problems. But that division, like you mentioned, some of the names: Jan's the title holder, Sterling's the number one contender who just beat Sanhagen, who just beat Marais, and then you have Garbrandt. Uh, who you know came back in pretty incredible fashion earlier this year before his injury. Uh, five and six are Frankie Edgar and Pedro Munoz. I thought Munoz beat Frankie Edgar, uh, but I mean, regardless, it was a great fight with uh, two right. guys that just I mean fought their asses off. And then you have Aldo all the way down at seven. Uh, you know, Dominic Cruz is still in that division. Marab um, uh Vili, the teammate right. of uh, Aljamain Sterling, is yeah. is I think a problem. Um, you got Cheeto Vera all the way down at 15. Oh, uh, man, how good did he look? Yeah. Sh- the Sugar Show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Sean O'Malley's an unranked fighter in that division. Exactly, and then a name you forgot. How about TJ Dillashaw? Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's 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 uh, set to come back from uh, suspension in January, I believe, and uh, Sanhagen called him out for a fight. That would be very intriguing. That'd be a great fight. And uh, what was uh, what's his name that just fought this last weekend? Um, I'm blanking. The Brazilian. Ooh, 135. 
dang I'm, I need to pull up the fight night card yeah. from this weekend he looked incredible uh, man I'm, goodness I don't want to I don't want you to tell me the name but I don't want to take too much time to think of it um gosh okay you're just gonna have to tell me <laughs> I'm looking it up I can't remember the name off the top of my head um it's driving me crazy because I just watched it Saturday night. It was yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You look they, good, Brazilian. Yeah, I, I'll have to look. Anyway, he's <laughs> he he absolutely deserves a uh, top fifteen opponent. Absolutely, and then well, I mean maybe you you give him Sean O'Malley when O'Malley was ready to come back. There you go. That works too. I mean because if, if O'Malley was uh, if he would have beat Chido Vera, he's probably looking at top ten, top five. But, I mean, he loses. That's a perfect fight for him to come back and, you know, get right back on track. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right, let's 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 hit two more uh, before we, we call it a day. Um, first, Hamzat Shemaev and Leon Edwards, to me, is like, it's like Christmas. Yeah, I agree with you. It's like Christmas. But I just hate how they, how they got, how we got here. Leon Edwards was supposed to fight Woodley at the beginning of the pandemic, and then the pandemic happened, and all hell broke loose, right? Right. But now, Leon hasn't fought for the whole entire year. He's It's going to take the last card of this year for him to fight. And then he gets a name. Don't get me wrong. Hamzad has made a big splash, but this guy isn't even ranked in the top 15 of the Welterweight division. And they took him out the rankings – I mean, they're they're telling they're telling people that he doesn't want to fight, and then at the end of the day, he's like, "Okay, I'll fight the guy." And this, I'm sure that it, this looks this way to you, but this just seems like this is just a fight for Hamzat to get a title shot. Yes, I mean, I'm, absolutely. The UFC is 100% behind Hamzat in this fight, and uh, me personally, I'm just like, man, Leon, ruin ruin their parade. Just put a stop to it, man. Hamzat is good, though, man. Uh, I, I honestly don't know what to expect in that thing. I, I have no I idea either. how that thing's going to go. Leon is good. His striking Leon is, is amazing. really, really yeah. good. He's, he's really, really good. He's won eight or nine in a row. And for anybody else, that's a title shot. But, I mean, with the way everything's been going, you know, the cards hasn't been in his favor. But Hamzat, man, our, he's one of those guys – uh, on the prelims, I didn't know who the guy was. He beat this guy up. I think his name was John Phillips, but he beat that guy so he beat that guy up so bad. I know it. It was it was it was sad. Like you say, it was sad to see because he there was nothing he could do. Literally nothing he could do to get up, to strike. I mean, anytime he wanted to even let loose, he was he was on his ground on the ground again. Same thing with his next opponent. It, I believe it was. Uh, I want to say he was from. Uh, he was from Ireland, and he got balled. Yeah, yeah. And then with with Mershart, oh. uh, a middle a middleweight, Mershart is saying all the right things leading up to this fight. So I'm like, you know what? This guy might be crazy enough to do something with him. And when he gets in front of the guy, he's kind of just standing there. He's kind of like waiting. And Hamzat's like, okay, if you're going to give it to me, <laughs> one hit a quitter, man. Like, goodness. So, I mean, he's got all the hype, but I think Leon's going to make him use a lot more of his skill than what we've had, than what he's had to use. Yeah. Uh, 
will he be able to take down and maul Leon like he's done the rest of these guys? I'm not sure. Uh, he Leon, one of his losses was to Usman. And Hamzat has a similar style, mauling style, wrestling style as uh, Usman. So Leon's gotten better. That was one of his first fights in the UFC. So, I mean, we'll see, man. Yeah, and we haven't seen Leon in so long. That also plays a factor. So, yeah, I don't know what to expect from that fight. I I can't wait to see it. I think it's going to be incredible. I'm with you on all the Leon Edwards stuff. I think he just kind of got... I mean, it's just sad. He kind of got fucked over in this in this whole right. year of, of just the way that things played out. And especially, like, this has been a crazy division because for some weird reason, like, he was next in line, right? He was supposed to be right. the guy that was going to get the next title shot. And then Gilbert Burns beats Tyron Woodley in dominant fashion, which, in my opinion, is not a feather in anybody's cap at this point. And right. certainly, again, I, I thought he was great absolutely dominant but was it was it i mean consider who he was fighting and especially when you look at what colby did to him as well like tyron woodley's not the same guy anymore so so he automatically jumps to the front of the line to get a title shot then he gets covid so then masvidal gets that title shot but they keep burns in line as the number one guy despite leon edwards having to miss opportunities because of things out of his control and now we're at this point where Gilbert Burns is still the number one contender number and one Leon guy. Edwards is sitting on the sideline for a year. And then, oh, by the way, we're going to give you fucking Hamzat Chimaev. Right. Yeah. Brutal. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it, it just sucks for Leon. And, and the UFC has given him fights. Like they've tried to, before they gave Masvidal the title shot, they tried to give Leon the, the fight on three weeks notice when his country shut down. So, of course, she's going to say no. And now the UFC is kind of painting them as, oh, this right. guy doesn't want to fight. Right. No, he literally can't train. Do you want to go into a fight without a training camp? I mean, Paul Felder's going to do it, but, I mean, at least he's been doing something. Uh, yeah. so, Paul Felder also isn't in line for a title shot. Like, Yeah, and to think that Leon's going to take this fight with Usman without a training camp for a title shot. He's going to get beat, and then he's out of the title picture for – who knows how many right. years, but, but so Woodley, yeah, ever since he fought Usman, I don't know what light switch went off with him, but he's definitely far from the same fighter. And it's crazy that in a span of just a few months, because it wasn't that long, he had beat Darren Till and then he fights Usman and then just doesn't look like he's done. There. Yeah. Doesn't look like he's prepared mentally. I mean, he looks great physically. I mean, there's not many better physical physiques in the UFC than Tyron Woodley, but he just isn't doing anything. He's just kind of there. <laughs> right. And then, yeah, and then, like, Usman and Burns and Kobe are just having their way with him. So, right, yeah, you're right. Like you said, I mean, that win doesn't do too much. But after Gilbert beat Woodley, oh, my gosh. Like, oh, yeah, Gilbert's getting the next fight. But now Usman got hurt because they were supposed to fight on the same card as uh, Jan and, and Sterling. But now Usman's out. Yeah. Why not put Leon Edwards against Gilbert Burns? Yeah, I don't hate that. That To me, that's the perfect solution, but there's so... Or Colby Covington. Right. Colby Covington, he be, he finished Woodley. Yeah. He, he got a finish over, so why not put Leon Edwards and Kobe, or Leon I mean, Edwards and Gilbert. The you know? Covington Usman fight was great. Oh my gosh, that was 
I don't think that fight gets enough credit because they, those guys went at it. The, I've watched that fight probably four or five times, yeah. and each time I'm like, okay, this guy won that round, but this guy won that round, and it changes every time. But uh, it would have been interesting to see what the judges' scorecards would have been at the end of that. But Usman coming on in the fifth round and stopping him, I mean, goodness. And to think, those guys were such good wrestlers, and they didn't use their wrestling at all. Right. <laughs> they, they stood and sh- – and none of them, neither one of them, even shot a takedown. <laughs> right. And 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 those guys were such accomplished wrestlers. It was like a Rocky movie. Exactly. And and to and to think, Kobe was kind of piecing them up a little bit. He kind of made them stumble a few times. Usman will say, "Ah, oh, man, that's how I write, react to punches." Nah, brother. Stumbling like that, that's yeah. not a reaction to a punch. That's a. <laughs> yeah. By the fifth, though, it was done. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, Usman got the better of him. He yeah. uh, landed really good shots to the body. Uh, and then just to take him out in the fifth like that. It was such an incredible fight, man. I remember watching it with my friends, and nobody knew, like, who was had the upper hand going into the fifth round. I think we we all assumed that it was uh, 2-2. But, yeah, man, yeah. that fight was incredible. I, I would love to see that fight again, for sure. Yeah, I, I would, you know, if it, if it were me... And again, you know, because because of the timeline of everything, like just because somebody maybe earned a title shot six months ago and then things change, I don't think you have to just stick by that, especially when you see Colby do the same thing but better against a Tyron Woodley. You know what Colby did against Usman. Leon Edwards has been waiting his time. If nothing else, I would go Colby, Leon Edwards for the number one contender and then give Burns uh, Chemayev. That also, I think, would be a pretty great fight. Right. So, for me, I didn't think that Hamzat was ready. Well, he might be. We'll find out. But I didn't think that he was ready for a top five opponent. Now, they're fast-tracking him, but I didn't think he was ready for it. But Neil Magny was pleading for the fight. And he's ranked, what, 12? Nine. Nine. Okay, he's ranked nine. Give him Neil Magny. Why not? I mean, that's that's a perfect segue to get a top five. You're right. You're right. That's a perfect segue, in my mind, give him Neil Magny and then have him fight a Leon Edwards or a Wonder Boy or a, or a Gilbert Burns or somebody. Yeah. But just to go from Gerald Merchart at middleweight <laughs> yeah. to Leon Edwards, number three ranked welterweight, I was just like, ah, like, come on, man. That's it's a little soon. It is, but I love it. I, I and uh, yeah. the only thing I mean, we've as, seen as from a, him is dominance, fan, so that also helps. Right. As a as a fan, as as the UFC wants to make money, they're all on board with this guy. Yeah. They have every reason to. Don't get me wrong. You knock out a middleweight in 14 seconds. Of course, they're going to be <laughs> right behind you. And that's not even your bread but, and butter, you know. It's, like, it's not your bread and butter, and he didn't even have to use it. And Mirshar was so scared of it that he left his face, his chin wide open. And you see Hamzad has knockout power to knock out a guy like that. Yeah. I thought Magny would have been a great test. And Exactly. I did too. I mean, we. I think Magny's skill set really get, would give us a great idea as to how good Chemayev is. The problem is, like, that, that, that fight's not going to excite anybody. Like, it's not going to sell anything. It's not going to main event anything. Um, 
mostly because although Neil Magny's a terrific fighter, there's just right. nothing about him from a from a stylistic standpoint or even a personality standpoint that's going to sell a main event fight. And that you know that's the unfortunate part of this sport is you. Ha- I mean, bottom line, you have to sell yourself and you have to, in some way, bring something to the table that that they can sell on the poster. And you know, Magny's just not going to do it. So unfortunately. That's why that one didn't happen. But I thought that was going to be a great test to really give us a gauge on whether this guy's for real or not. Yeah, I thought so too because Magny's great on the ground. His striking is is improving by the year. And we saw what he did to Robbie Lawler just uh, a few months ago. Like, he made Robbie Lawler look like he was done. Like, he should just go ahead and hang it up. And he's long and Uh, lanky and, like, just kind of right. awkward too, so it's not like just a normal like he just he presents some awkward challenges. Exactly, and we don't know with a guy who's as accomplished of a grappler as Neil Magny if it's going to be the same type of uh, mauling that we've seen of other people that Hamza would be able to do to him. So you're right; it would have been a great test. But I mean, talk about a great test. Leon Edwards is going to be a, a test for him for sure. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. All right, uh, last one, and we'll wrap this up. January, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier. I saw the first one. Uh, I, I, you know, I think these both of these guys are different fighters today than they were the first time around. Uh, certainly, Dustin Poirier is a lot more accomplished than he was at that time. This is going to be a war, and I mean, if you've ever, I know most people know Conor McGregor. I don't know how many people no Dustin Poirier, but every time Dustin Poirier fights, it's a great fight. Like, his style just demands that it's going to be a great fight. He's willing to take a bunch of shots in order to deliver a bunch of shots. Connor is one of the elite strikers in the game. This, to me, is as exciting a fight as you can possibly make right now. I think this is about as good as it gets from an entertainment value. Just off the top of my head, man, uh, the the last few fights Justin Poirier's had, Dan Hooker, fantastic fight. Justin Gaethje, fantastic fight. Uh, Max Holloway, fantastic fight. Eddie Alvarez, fantastic. Like every time he's in a fight, these are yeah. fight of the night caliber fights. And then Conor McGregor, we know what he brings to the table. Not only will he bring the eyes, millions and millions of followers uh, of eyes on the sport, but he is such a good fighter. His striking is second to none. Uh, the first fight, both these guys, they, they were they were fighting at featherweight, by the way. Yeah. And du- I feel like both of those guys were depleting themselves, but Dustin definitely was depleting himself. And he wasn't able to take a shot as good as... That was back when he was still shaving his head, too. Right, the b- ball dusting. Yeah, ball dusting. <laughs> ball dusting. And Connor caught him behind the... Perfect shot behind the ear. And equilibrium went out, and Connor got the best of him. But over his time at lightweight, he's definitely able to take shots from some of the best strikers. I, I mean, I just named about about four of them that he's been able to take shots from these guys. But these guys don't know Connor McGregor. That left hand of Connor McGregor is is something special. Uh, so uh, it's intriguing, man. Uh, Connor has had to fight some of these guys who are special who are specialists at wrestling like like Khabib and he's he hasn't been able to show what he can do striking wise in a while. 
I mean, Cerrone, I mean, beat him in 30 yeah. seconds. So that, that doesn't really count. But I've been waiting to see Connor in a in a striking war. And I've been waiting for the day that he gets to fight a Dustin or a Justin or a Tony Ferguson. And finally, you get to see it. Connor and Dustin. Yeah. I don't think Connor gets him out of there in in a in a round and a half. Uh I think it's definitely a war. I don't to be honest with you, I don't know which way it goes. I don't either. I- I'm uh I'm I'm pretty geeked about it. You know, it, Connor had those fights with Nate Diaz that were great. You know, just just brawl type fights. It, it, Nate is just kind of a tough brawler though. Like whereas Dustin, I think, is a considerably better just like striker. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, right. I don't know. This is this is uh, super interesting. Dustin will bring more uh, skill to the table, yeah. Uh, striking wise, grappling wise, pretty much everywhere than than Nate will. Uh, but one thing that Connor uh, showed in both those fights was his gas tank was was lacking a little bit, and Dustin can go for days. So if if Dustin can get him into the later rounds, uh, where Nate failed, I think Dustin will be able to at least get him down, maybe uh, and maybe get a choke. You know, you you never know. Yeah. The one thing that, you know, you, you just got to – I think Connor's going to use a bunch of leg kicks in that fight, right. and that, that might be the difference. But, man, that's going to be I'm, – I'm, like, so excited about that fight. I can't even tell you. Like, I'm just – I'm geeked. Yeah, man. If, if, if Connor's going to come back to fight anybody, out of, I don't know who I, who I want to see him fight more out of Dustin and Justin, but for me Yeah, those are Dustin, the two. Yeah. For me to get Dustin and Connor, sign me up. I'm locked in. I'm watching. It's gonna be incredible, man. Uh, yeah, I do see Connor going after the leg kicks and obviously looking for his left hand. Uh, Dustin, I'm kind of curious to see what his game plan will be. He, 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 he will strike with them, but I feel like he's gonna mix in a lot of grappling this time around because if he can get Connor tired early that works that works in his favor so I don't know man I think we'll see a, a, a lot more of a grappling approach from Dustin this time around yeah it'll be a ton of fun man and look I, I, it'll be a ton of fun this weekend uh, as we mentioned Paul Felder RDA uh, Felder on five days notice I am disappointed that we're not getting to see um, I, I've just been calling him Habib Jr. Uh, in, in that main event uh I, I've never seen the guy fight. I don't know if you've seen him fight. I've never seen him fight. So I was kind of excited to to see him on a big stage, but I'll settle for this. Yeah, I've seen this on fight once. I don't remember who it was, who it was against, but I believe it was his last fight. I think he's basically Khabib Jr. as far as wrestling and, and all that, but he's a, he's more of a polished striker yeah. than uh, Khabib is. Uh, it would have been good to see him and uh, tested with a guy uh, with a veteran like RDA. I definitely think he's ready for that step up. Uh, he was uh, him and Kevin Lee were talking about having a fight for a long time, and you know Kevin Lee kind of got hurt, so it's kind of been up in the air when he was going to be able to come back. And with them, with everything that's been happening in the pandemic, you know he's kind of been uh, on the sidelines. Uh, but I was looking forward to this fight with RDA. It's, it's a shame that uh, it's not going to happen. But I told you uh, through text that uh, a perfect fight 
a perfect backup fight for him uh, would be Makachev versus Charles Oliveira. And yeah, man, for sure. Charles Oliveira choked out Kevin Lee in his last fight, the the first fight of the pandemic with no fans in Brazil. So, uh, yeah, that would have been fun, or that would be fun if it's if it's booked. Islam is a is a promising prospect, but yeah, man, uh, RDA Felder, I'm not complaining. Love it. Yeah, man, it's 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 a fun sport right now, and I feel like uh, it every division even is is deeper than it's ever been, and it just. I mean, you can you can legitimately have conversations for days about every division in the sport right now. I mean, it's just it's incredible. I, I've loved watching how much it's grown over the years, and then I think you add the spotlight of 2020 and the fact that it was the only game in town for a while, and that even magnified it even more. And look, I, I'll give Dana White a lot of credit from this angle as well. Not only did he put on events when nobody else was, but I think he understood the magnitude of the spotlight that he had and he took advantage of it and every week gave us a great product. I mean, it's worthless. You know, that spotlight is worthless if you're not delivering. He got all the eyeballs and if you don't deliver, then, you know, they all disappear. But to his credit, I mean, the last six months have been absolutely amazing. He has killed it every week and taken advantage of that spotlight. So, And to think... Every Saturday, except for two or three, and then mixing uh, like a few Wednesdays, but every Saturday, it's been a card, and it, and not one card has been like, eh, you know, right, I, you know, I'll, you know, I'll watch, you know, every single fight card has been amazing. These fighters have delivered uh, in the spotlight. Dana's done his thing, and uh, he keeps putting on these fights, man, and uh, it's gonna be sad, you know next year when the, you know it gets back to a normalcy kind of schedule but uh this year has definitely been incredible you think it will uh, i i kind of think that uh this might be the new norm for them every saturday yeah i i'm not complaining but i kind of don't i don't think it will but i i hope so <laughs> i that's i think that's why they're just they're they're pumping in so much new talent um mm-hmm. like they, you know, every every week on Contender Series, they're making such a big deal about how many contracts they're giving away. I True. think that's the point. I think they're trying to get as many quality fighters uh, on the roster as possible because I, I think, again, to his credit, he understood the opportunity that was in front of him. He delivered in a big way, and now they have a following like they've never had before. They They have fans that were just kind of on the fringe as full-fledged fans and fans that had never even paid attention to it before, like casually viewing. So I don't know. I, I, I tend to think it's probably not going away. I think they're going to do everything they can to, to continue to make it an every week year-round sport. I, I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest with you, now that you, now that you say it like that, um, because with the Contender Series, they're giving away four or five New, uh, contracts every every Tuesday. Yeah. So I mean, with all those fighters, and then and think about how many quality fighters have come from that anyway in the past. It, 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 exactly. Uh, you you, you got to think because a lot of these uh, divisions, that's why they're so stacked because a lot of these guys are coming from the contender series. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of uh, well, Sean O'Malley. I know he came from the contender series. Um, I don't think Hamza came from the Contender Series, but anyways, there's there's been a lot of quality fighters that's come from the Contender Series. And if they're giving away contracts every Tuesday, man, I wouldn't be surprised to see it go every every Saturday, man. 
By the way, if anybody has uh, never seen that, I highly recommend because basically your job is to knock the other guy out to get a contract. Like, like you know that going in. It's not just win the fight. So, so for all yeah. the people that are like, I don't like when they just like wrestle around and, and nobody does anything – that's not what happens here because if that's if you do that you're not getting a contract like they they tell you you got to knock this dude out. I mean that's not a rule necessarily but it's implied that you've got to knock the guy out to even have a chance to get a contract. So it's awesome. You have to you you have to win impressively. Yeah. And to translate that, you have to knock him out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And and you're putting He's putting a contract on the line. So basically you're telling these guys, you're fighting for your livelihood. You're fighting uh, to feed your family. And uh, if you ever hear Dana White's motivational speeches, uh, guys have said in the past, like, it's got me wanting to run through a brick wall. So when he gives these speeches to these guys, these guys are ready to go out there and give it everything they have uh, to provide for their families. So, uh, yeah, the Contender Series, uh, it's, you're not going to see any uh, champions – uh, playing it safe, uh, you're going to see guys out there uh, fighting for their lives, basically. Yeah, no doubt. Will, I appreciate it, my friend. Uh, we'll catch up again soon. We'll get you on regularly and uh, talk MMA. And and uh, I've had a, I've had a good time, man. Uh, absolutely, I've had fun. It's been great, man. Good catching up with you again, brother. All right, take care. We'll talk soon. You too, man. Will Brewer joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their website, abotanicalcompany.com or give them a call at 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on their line of natural medicine products. They are dedicated to helping you live a better life. Uh, so again, great people and check out their website. Give them a call, ask questions, let them know what your ailments are and uh, figure out what might work best for you. I, I think they have uh, a tremendous selection of solutions to better your everyday life. abotanicalcompany.com or give them a call 405-458-9699. Uh, Joe Adkins is going to join me tomorrow. We're going to talk, obviously, a ton of NBA. Everything going on right now is we're uh, less than a week away from the NBA draft, trade rumors, and all that good stuff. Not to mention... Joe's an OSU guy. Bedlam is a week away. So we'll uh, we'll get Joe's thoughts on where the Cowboys are uh, just a week away from their matchup with Oklahoma. All right, everybody, have a great day. Stay safe, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.